This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, January 6, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. By killing a high-ranking member of the Iranian government last week, President Trump has undertaken a massive escalation of hostilities with Iran. Cato's John Glazer and Emma Ashford comment on the new developments. So uh, the U.S. and Iran obviously have not been friendly for quite a long time, but four decades at this point. Um, When the U.S. went into Iraq in 2003, um, the Iranians um, initially actually offered to cooperate with the Bush administration in the fight against al-Qaeda. But after that was rebuffed, um, they backed a number of militias in Iraq, um, some of which went on to target U.S. service members. And that's where some of the bad blood between sort of senior U.S. military officials today and Iran comes from. Um, the man that's probably most single-handedly responsible for that is Qasem Soleimani, uh, the the general of the Iranian, um, the Quds Force, that's a branch of the uh, Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps that was killed by the Trump administration by a drone strike um, late last week. Um, and he's often been described as sort of a mastermind of these sort of terror cells and Shia militias throughout the Middle East. Um, and there's no denying he was a really sort of bad guy working against not just US interests, but fomenting a lot of unrest in the region. Um, So his history and the history of a lot of these militias in the region is is really inseparable. What was Iran's goal, uh, or there may be many of them, uh, in its operations in Iraq? Well, it's pretty predictable behavior for a state like Iran, hemmed in in a dangerous neighborhood surrounded by enemies, and having the countries on its east and west borders invaded and overthrown by the most powerful country in the world, you're probably, it's reasonable to expect some reaction, some kind of pushback, some balance of power type activities, in this case, in the form of asymmetric attacks in a kind of counter in in an insurgency war against uh, the occupiers. It's also the case that Iran has a large Shiite population um, and there's uh, a lot of connection with with Iran. A lot of the people, for example, uh, the guy that was killed along with Soleimani was uh, an Iraqi Shiite and a member of the the Iraq-backed paramilitary units. And he had spent some time in in Iran, exiled after uh, 1980, uh, has close ties with Soleimani. I mean, these kinds of connections and the relationship between Iran and Shiite power centers in Iraq um, really came to fruition with the US uh, invasion and overthrow of Iraq in 2003. We basically gave a huge boost to Iranian influence in the region as a result of that power vacuum that we kind of uh, put into the Middle East. What's particularly interesting, I think, is that I, I mentioned the, you know, sort of Iranian-backed militias in Iraq working against U.S. interests. Well, that was in the mid-2000s. Later on, those militias often actually worked with the U.S. Um, so in the fight against ISIS, for example, in Iraq and elsewhere, a lot of those militias were fighting on the same side as U.S.-backed forces. Um, and the Iranians um, have spent a lot of time focused on Syria and on other conflicts um, in recent years. So it's been a lot 
less clear in the last, say, five years that Iranian interests and U.S. interests actually diverge in that region. With the killing of Soleimani, what has been the general reaction? And to, in your view, was any of this unexpected? Well, it's a major escalation, I think, um, in terms of what the United States and Iran uh, relationship was. Uh, let's not forget that the Obama administration negotiated uh, one of the most important non-proliferation agreements uh, with Iran and the rest of the world powers. And we had established a certain working relationship with that country. We even had an open diplomatic channel between uh, Secretary Kerry and Iranian Foreign Minister uh, Javad Zarif. Um, you know, it was a, a cautious relationship, still had a lot of problems, but we had come to an agreement on Iran's nuclear program in which they rolled it back significantly, opened up their country to inspections, and uh, we were lifting sanctions. Um, and that was working just fine until Trump withdrew in May 2018 and punished the Iranians for their compliance with the deal's stringent terms uh, with lots of economic warfare. And since then, Trump has been trying to get them to the negotiating table through this maximum pressure program, um, but it's actually imposed all the wrong incentives on Iran. And so Trump hasn't gotten his meeting. He hasn't gotten this opportunity to strike his own deal in the kind of pageantry that he's sought one with North Korea. And this has apparently frustrated him. And a number of cases along the way where Iran has kind of uh, started to, uh, first of all, make calculated violations of the deal in order to signal to Europe and Russia and China that, hey, if you guys aren't going to make sure that we get our end of the bargain here, we're going to not comply with it ourselves. And Iran has, you know, desperate under the weight of US pressure, started to act out in the region, attacking oil tankers in the Persian Gulf, Saudi oil fields, etc. And so it was this kind of tit for tat escalation. Trump's order to assassinate Soleimani is a major escalation, arguably an outright act of war, which, um, you know, targeted and killed uh, one of the most important officials in the Iranian government. And the consequences could potentially be uh, catastrophic. It could kind of unravel. The Iranians have already promised uh, some kind of retaliation, specifically against US military assets. But there's other aspects of the fallout from this. I mean, first of all, Iran has now said, we're not going to we're going to continue to make further violations of the JCPOA, the Iran nuclear deal. The Iraqi government, uh, the parliament voted to expel US forces. That was a non-binding resolution, but it was still a clear evidence that Iraq wants the United States out. Operations against ISIS have been suspended. Um, European allies aren't with us. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people in Iraq and, and Iran are marching to mourn the death of Soleimani. And so we've created this kind of situation where we've compelled the Iranians to uh, respond with violence probably, and we've uh, inflamed Iraq against the US presence there. And we're possibly now on the road to war. It seems like a lose-lose all around. Yeah, let's not, I mean, let's not understate how big um, of an escalation this is and how sort of historically significant this is. This is not using a drone to kill a terrorist in a failed state. I mean, none of that is good and nobody's saying that's good. This is killing a senior official of a foreign government. Um, so this is as if 
um, say, the Iranians turned around and said, well, we don't like what the US is doing in the Middle East, and they tried to kill, say, the head of US Central Command or something like that. This is a serious escalation and brings us into the realm of, frankly, political assassination, which is not something we have done in a very long time. Um, and as John notes, I think it's also um, really difficult to overstate the potential danger that this puts us in, in terms of escalation and a path to war or to some kind of conflict. Um, this is uh, you know, a situation where we were already sanctioning the Iranians. It's a situation where they were already in pretty dire straits because of that. Um, suddenly, we're starting to target their government officials. Um, it puts that government in a position where they really sort of want to have to respond in some way. And the most obvious response is against American troops in the region, which is terrible and puts those troops in a lot of danger. And it's hard to think that the Trump administration really thought this through before they authorized the assassination. And of course, in addition to the regional implications, there are certain domestic concerns that I think we should have. The Trump administration did not consult with Congress as it is required to do before any new military strike like this, according to the War Powers Resolution. They still haven't released the intel to the relevant committees that have responsibility for oversight that this was, in fact, uh, what some administration have, officials have claimed this was an imminent threat that we were preempting by killing Soleimani. Uh, that sounds really fishy. Um, first of all, killing the head of the Quds Force sort of decapitating the leader who might order and orchestrate and sort of coordinate uh, operations in the region that could put US for forces or personnel at risk, uh, probably wouldn't stop some kind of imminent ongoing attack that was being carried out. And plus reporting has shown that Pompeo has been planning this for months. And so this does not seem like something that was imminent. And so the administration claim there uh, is, is uh, worrisome and and not credible especially if you don't consult with congress as is the as is the law and so uh if we're in fact going to sort of slip into a new conflict with a new country um and congress hasn't been informed or even uh authorized such operations i think that's deeply problematic for um, the rule of law what is the Trump administration, and I have a sense I already know what this is, what are they relying on to uh, make this a both legal and righteous kill? So you can pretty much get lawyers to justify anything if you try hard enough. Um, not to be flippant about it. And this is one of those cases. So the Trump administration has pointed to the 2002 AUMF authorization to use military force. That's the one that authorized the war in Iraq. Um, and so they've pointed to that and said, well, that authorizes us to operate in inside Iraq. But no one's really been using that AUMF for justification for a while. They've pointed to the fact that they designated the IRGC as a terror organization earlier this year. But again, that's legally a little dicey. Um, they've pointed to this idea of imminent threat, but so far the news leaks have suggested that the imminent threat uh, was based on intelligence that basically said Soleimani is visiting Iraq um, 
And, you know, sometimes bad things happen when he does that. That appears to be pretty much the totality of the intelligence that at least we know about publicly. So this is all just a very flimsy house of cards. Um, and for, from my point of view, even if the lawyers succeed in sort of legally justifying this, I think morally and ethically, um, it's very problematic. And strategically, it is incredibly dangerous. And if the case is flimsy on the domestic side for what, you know, whether or not this counts as a legal act, um, that shouldn't be too surprising considering that the president has since taken to Twitter to threaten numerous war crimes, uh, including attacking and targeting Iranian cultural sites in any retaliation, um, threatening to use disproportionate force, another war crime. Um, you know, th this is clearly a president that is not too hung up on what he's legally permitted to do. Emma Ashford is a research fellow and John Glazer directs foreign policy studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 